Well, good morning, New Life Manitou. My, hello, my name is Brett. I'm a pastor on staff with New Life Church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, um, we're talking about the Father. We're talking about God today. And uh, that is uh, fear and trembling. That is beyond any of us to, to talk about, to think about. Um, and so we invite your spirit into this place. We ask that you would uh, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, that you would provoke us in the places we need to be provoked and that you would, um, that you would comfort those who might have come in um, with misconceptions about you. Um, we ask that you would speak speak this morning, because um, we need you to. We need your, your word spoken. And so uh, come and speak. Your children are listening. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. So a few years ago, my wife Joy and I, we moved uh, to Colorado Springs from Denver, and we were house hunting online, the joy of house hunting online for anybody who's done it. I mean, it's miserable. Um, and, you, and we just felt like everything was out of our price range. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Anybody? Good. Hey, man. Um, and um, anything that might have been affordable uh, for us, we like it had just immediate offers coming in. We couldn't even get down here to look at it, you know, take a couple out, you know. And there was this one house that we saw, uh, and we loved the look of it. It looked awesome. It was like, it looked like everything was kind of new in it, backyard. It was like in a decent location. And we just assumed that it would disappear um, over that particular weekend, but we just kept seeing it again and again. We were, and so we eventually like asked our agent, we were like, what is that house? <laughs> that was a, it was a simple question. What is that house? Can we go see it? It's a simple question. And about an hour Later, she called us back with the answer. Well, that is a meth house. <laughs> That's the answer. It's been completely gutted. It's been stripped back to the studs. Uh, had new stuff put it, completely flipped, and it still sets off the alarms for the, for, for the chemicals. Needless to say, we didn't follow up. And, you know, okay, it's a meth house. Okay, okay. But how's the school district? You know, it's just not the follow. You know, it's, um, it was a simple question with like, just kind of like profound, endless cascade of consequences in it. Um, the answer was going to soak through our skin and get into our bones if we didn't know it. We, we want to stay healthy um, and not get sick. Um, and so getting healthy or sick was actually um, loaded into that question and that answer. Um, we need to know the answer to that question because we're thinking about living in the answer. You know what I mean? Um, I think that might actually be a good picture of the kind of question that we're asking with this sermon series. Uh, we're in week three of this series, and it's going to take us almost into summer. Uh, and across all of New Life's eight congregations, we're asking like just a simple question, who is God? is the question we're and that is a question that is like easy to ask like a 4 year old can ask that question but i suspect every single one of us in here is 
asked it at, at some point in our lives. You know, even if the answer that we give that we've landed at is like, <laughs> I don't think there is one. You know, we're all asking this question, this simple question. It's a straightforward question, but this the answer is going to have like kind of like a cascade of consequences in our lives because we we end up living in the answer. You know how we understand God or lack of God um, eventually soaks um, through our mind and into our bones. Uh, it changes the way that we understand. Uh, the, the mystery of the human experience. Like, we're all here, you know? It's like, what is the ultimate nature of reality? And how do we approach life? And how do we view others? And every bit of life is touched by how we answer this question. And so here, uh, as we're still kind of here at the beginning of this series, I want to go really basic, super basic. Some of you might be like uncomfortable with how basic I'm going this morning. Um, but I want to examine what do we mean when we use the word God? It's just a, a funny, theos is the way you say it in Greek, like if that disorients you at all. God, that word that we use so often, um, what do we mean by it? And so turn in the scripture to uh, Acts 17. Uh, that actually, I think this gives us a really good springboard, really good place to kind of think about this question. Um, in Acts 17, we have, um, we have an account of Paul. He's a first-generation Christian leader giving a speech to, an, to the intellectual elites of Athens, which is really interesting. Paul happens to be in Athens, you know, and, it's, uh, and some of the influencers, shakers, um, highbrow high kind of people, ask him to do a TED Talk. What are you talking about? What's, what are you talking about when you talk about Jesus and resurrection and these sorts of things? Um, and we're going to home in on four words. Four words will guide us this morning, okay? Um, and they'll be up here on the screen. So Acts 17, starting in verse 22. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived uh, there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. It's a TED Talk. They're talking about stuff. So, Paul, standing in the midst of the uh, Areopagus, it's this uh, cl cliff out outcropping down from the Acropolis, um, where howtodos uh, would gather, he gets up and he says, men of, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For, <laughs> it's like I can't pull it off. Um, for as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown. Everyone say unknown. No. Unknown. To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives, everyone say gives, gives. He himself gives to all humankind, all mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually 
not far, everyone say not far, not far from each one of us. For in him, he's quoting, uh, he's not quoting the Bible here, he's quoting uh, pop culture of the time. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, he's doing it again here, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. No, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, everyone say a man, a man whom he has appointed and he has given assurance to all. It's literally, he's given faith to all. Pistis is the word. Um, given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. So Paul, he's overlooking Athens, the city made famous by the presence of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle just a few centuries before this. Um, and there is a long tradition, verse 21, in the city of just talking through the latest and greatest ideas. They're just, they, they really are. They're thinking through everything possible. Um, and so Paul ends up getting, uh, he, he gives an answer to the question, who is God? And the place he starts, I don't know if you noticed, the the place he starts is not bashing or boycotting or picketing or protesting. He wouldn't have gotten invited if he had been doing those sorts of things. He starts with common ground. It's what he does. He's, he, verse 22, he's, I, I can see that we have something in common. You're, you're very religious here in, in every way. And I noticed as I was walking around that there's an altar actually in the city that doesn't have any statue with it. Uh, it, it just says, to the unknown God, unknown. Now, in, in the ancient world, there were lots of statues and idols and, and arguments going on. And in the modern world, there is a lot of debate and opinion and religion and theology. And you guessed it, arguments. We're still doing it, the human race. <laughs> but Paul he zeroes in on an empty altar when he, who is God? Okay, let me, let me start here. To the unknown God. In the midst of all the clutter, 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 noise, 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 Paul thinks this is a good starting point right here. When we're talking about God, God, the best place to start is to admit I will be the first one. We are way out of our depth. <laughs> way, the, the question of whatever we mean by the word God, it is a simple question, and it's a staggering question. Uh, t- tell me about what happens when we not just strip a house to the studs, when we strip the universe back to its studs. When we're like, we're getting behind everything. Tell me about why is there something rather than nothing? How was everything made? Where does, 
we're, where does consciousness, like human consciousness, it's called the hard problem of consciousness uh, in, this, in academic circles. How does that come about? Why are we here? And, and, and is it going anywhere? <laughs> Where's it all going? When we're talking about God, what we're talking about at bottom is actually like the ultimate reality behind everything, Okay. That's, that's what we're talking about when we, when we get, like, we're talking about the meaning of life. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about past, present, and future. Like, truth be told, I don't know what I'm having for lunch today. <laughs> like, like, how can I possibly have access to all of the rest of this? God. Like, I keep learning that a huge part of being an adult is actually pretending like you know what's going on. No, no, nobody, nobody tells you this, but like, none of us know what we're doing. Like, can we just be honest here? Becoming an adult actually just means you're sufficiently mature enough to go from not knowing what's happening in a school and in your family of origin to not knowing what's going on with all the rest of the adults. Uh, you know what I mean? And then, but we all pretend, don't we? We all pretend. Like, some people pretend, I don't, but some people pretend really, really well. We call them the leaders. <laughs> sometimes they just go, and sometimes every once in a while we glimpse behind the, you know, the curtain, behind the facade, and we're like, oh man, that politician has no clue what is that, that business. Oh my gosh, they're, they don't know Blockbuster Video, anyone? They do not see this coming. They don't know what they're doing. Or like, the CDC said the, the opposite thing last week. What, what is going on? But, it, but it's easy to pick on them out there, but it's really all of us. No, none of us, like, it's not individuals or groups we don't like. We, we pretend so much that we know what's going on that a lot of times we trick ourselves into thinking, oh, it's everyone else that doesn't know what's going on. And I really do. We, and we don't. We don't. There's a really good reason that we um, have to pretend so much. We should say it this one, this way. Um, no one really knows what God is. No one really even knows what the universe is. I need to unpack this for just a second. But like, uh, this series is called Who is God? Not What is God? Because what is God is an impossible question to answer. Like that is beyond like any human being. Like who is God might be answerable, but we don't even know what the universe is. In elementary school, we get taught something about matter at some point, you know, solids, liquids, gas. I'm not, you guys know about matter, don't you? At some point, you get taught about molecules and then like atoms. But can I give you some homework? You, you can do it just for fun if you want. Um, search YouTube, not right now, but, or even right now if you want, I don't care. If, but, um, but you'll need some earplugs. I will, um, search YouTube for quantum field theory later. Just make a note. Search for quantum field theory and take your pick of a 10 or 15 minute introductory video. Essentially, I'll, I'll spoiler alert, the longer we study matter and energy, the less we understand what matter and energy are. 
like we don't, like we give names to these mysterious realities and like giving a name to it, like, oh yes, we understand why it's a quark, it's an electron. But like, and we can watch and kind of predict how these, uh, sometimes, uh, how these mysteries behave, but we don't really understand what any of these mysteries are. And some of us talk about God a lot. <laughs> we're way out of our depth when we're talking about God, when we're talking about a creator, because we don't even know what the creation is. That's, that's way beyond us. So how in the world could we think? It actually makes me think of um, a poem by C.S. Lewis. And I thought about just referencing it, but I want to read it with you. Is that okay? We'll read some poetry in here. I think it, 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 I'm going to try to read it well enough and slow enough that you can, um, you can follow along. The only really strange word in it is gonna be, you can go ahead and throw it up there. It's on this first uh, slide. It's the word uh, Phidian. Uh, it's uh, referring to a sculpture, uh, sculptor named Phidias who um, made a giant statue of Zeus in the ancient, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this giant statue of Zeus, okay? Um, so let's read it together. It's called A Footnote. To all prayers. He whom I bow to only knows to whom I bow. When I attempt the ineffable name, murmuring thou, and dream of Phidian fancies and embrace in heart symbols I know which cannot be the thing thou art. Thus always taken at their word all prayers blaspheme, worshiping with frail images a folklore dream, and all men in their praying, self-deceived, address the coinage of their own unquiet thoughts, unless thou in magnetic mercy to thyself divert our arrows aimed unskillfully beyond desert, and all men are idolaters, crying unheard to a deaf idol, if thou take them at their word. Take not, O Lord, our literal sense. Lord, in thy great unbroken speech, our limping metaphor translate. Lewis recognizes, um, if we all got really honest, we don't know what God is. <laughs> like, sure, like those of us who might have been in church or whatever, we make giant, not, not physical statues, but we make giant mental statues of God. And we, and we pray to the, like, got, got God in my box, got carved out a nice statue of him. And our mental statues of God, no matter how wonderful, are not God. <laughs> All prayers blaspheme, is what he says. Because we are invited, we're invited to imagine um, that we don't understand what God is like, because we don't. We, um, we pretend like we understand, but we do. I don't even know what I'm having for lunch. Even if I did, even if I knew what I was having for lunch. Like, let's say a ham sandwich. I'm having a ham sandwich for lunch. I don't even know what a ham sandwich is. I mean, it's made of like molecules and atoms and, and ham particles, but I don't really know what a ham sandwich is. How in the world could I know what God is? Our only hope, says Lewis, 
is that God understands how totally ignorant we are and that, um, that he is um, humble enough to, um, to divert in his magnetic mercy all of what we say to that statue, he's gonna pull it to himself. That's Lewis's hope, that uh, God is humble enough that he listens to our prayers even though we've locked eyes with the mental statue that we've made, um, that we send our prayer flying in the air like a misguided arrow and he, oh, magnetic mercy is at the heart of the Father and he brings it to himself. This actually is Paul's hope too. It's uh, easy to miss and so it's worth repeating right here in verse uh, 23. He says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, verse 24, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Whatever we're talking about when we talk about God, number one, we're not talking about something that we understand. Number two, we're not talking about something that needs us. (laughs) He doesn't. Like you reading your Bible, you giving money, you spending quiet before God, whatever it is, God doesn't need it. We're not stoking God's ego. We are not maintaining God's self-esteem. We're not putting in, we're not putting tank or gas in God's tank in any kind of way. God is completely self-sufficient in God's own self. That is like the classical definition of what God is. God is that which is not contingent, is the technical language. He, he doesn't depend on anything else. When you strip the house back down far enough, you eventually get to the immovable bedrock on which the house is built. And that's God. <laughs> this is what, if, if we want to simplify it, God is like cosmic bedrock, the mysterious something <laughs> that, that we can't get under, that we can't get behind, that the house needs bedrock. The bedrock doesn't need the house, if that makes sense. God does not need us, but God wants us. That's the the beautiful thing. That's the beauty of what uh, followers of Jesus have understood about God for 2,000 years. Paul doesn't use the word love right here, but that's exactly what he's talking about. He says, God gives everything. If we were to rephrase what Paul's trying to communicate right here, I think we could say it this way. The great kindness upholding the universe is upholding you. He's upholding you. He's upholding the, he's upholding everything. Um, our girls are, uh, tr- they just, tr- one of them just turned six. The other one uh, is turning five in a couple of weeks. Uh, these are a couple of pictures uh, that they made for me. I usually have them hanging in my office. One's, uh, this is, I love this. And then this is a card that says Papa on the front. I love it when my girls uh, make me stuff. Girls, Daisy, I see you and Daphne. Um, yes. Um, it, like, it fills me in a way that like few things, things do with like a crisp, clean kind of happiness, just like, ah, like 
water from the tap. It's just so clean. And, um, you know what has literally never crossed my mind until I was preparing this sermon, that is? Um, I have never thought once when they've brought me something like that. Yep, that's my paper. And I bet they used my markers too. Yeah. And I saw them drinking my juice and eating my fruit snacks while they were drawing. Yeah, you know, this, this is great. But you know what would sure mean a lot more to me? If you would get a job and help with the household. Beautiful picture. Next time, do it on your lunch break. Are you, are you kidding? Like, that's perverse to even like think. I, I'm not thinking about any of the stuff that upholds the little universe that is our home. The groceries, the art supplies, the heating, the lighting, the utility bill with rising inflation. Can I get a witness? Goodness gracious. I'm thinking, oh my child, I love you too. It's like the only thing in my mind. And sure, there's going to be time for them to grow up and be, have more awareness and more responsibility. But even in the year 20-whatever, when they are, I'm going to have zero interest in them ever reimbursing me for art supplies. Does that mean? I don't want them to uphold me. I'm upholding them. It's, it is one-sided. I want to create an environment where they can grow up healthy and whole and know that they are endlessly loved. And it's an imperfect metaphor, but God says, or Paul says that God gives life and breath and everything. I think that covers everything. He realizes, that, he realizes that God loves you more than you love God. It's not a problem. It's always going to be this way. It's, there is no, the goal is never that we get to uphold God. Like, let this awareness, this is gospel that someone needs to hear this morning. Like, we often emphasize, quite rightly sometimes, we worship, uh, that we come to worship and uh, we bring a gift to God, a sacrifice of praise or something. Offer up a gift to God. Give to God. But it's okay. More than okay. It's more than okay to just bring your tired self to God and say, I've got nothing to give. Nothing to let this awareness fill your prayer life, your worship life. Some of us will begin liking God a little bit more when we realize that God is not interested in being reimbursed. Ever. You can rest before God. God gives everything, and into the ages of ages, it's always going to be this way. You can rest with your markers. I mean, God's markers. God's markers. And you can, you can rest with, with, with the markers. You can rest in, the, in his warmth and his light. The utility bill belongs to God. He's not interested in you contributing to it. Everything belongs to God, and God just gives it to you. God declares that adoption, childlikeness, belongs to 
you. And that brings us near to uh, verse 27, where Paul says, God gives to all of us so that we should seek God and perhaps feel our way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. All of this talk about a great kindness in the universe upholding the universe and upholding me. Oh, sure, yeah, that might, that, might, that sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> like, I, I might even in this moment, I might find my heart strangely warmed by it in some sort of way. But the million dollar question that like somebody needs to, I'll say it this morning, uh, where exactly is this God? <laughs> Where is this God who loves us so much? I almost skipped this part, but I'm, I'm sure that we need to name this um, because there's someone um, to name this because it's crippling someone in the room. I'm sure. We all struggle with the fact that um, God is nowhere in the universe. And I almost, I know this makes someone in the room uncomfortable too. Um, and so I almost pulled the punch a little bit and put God is ever, he's omnipresent and, you know, and nowhere. But no, but I do believe that. I, do believe, I take Paul at his word when he says that God is not far from us, but phrasing it this way is going to be profoundly helpful to all of us. <laughs> I promise. God is nowhere in the universe. And you know why it's going to be helpful to all of us? Because it's true. It's true. Since its beginning, the Christian tradition has long recognized that God is not findable in the universe in the same way that, like, I don't know, a shoe is. You know? There is nowhere in the world or in this universe that I can go and find God. I cannot climb to the top of a mountain and find God. I cannot join William Shatner and Jeff Bezos on a rocket Though that might be really fun and interesting. I'd have some stories to tell. And find God hiding on the backside of Saturn. I can't, I can't find him. God, verse 24, God does not live in, in temples made by human hands or anywhere else in the universe. And that makes sense. God is the bedrock, not the house. He, I, I can't find the foundation of this building or of my house while I'm walking around in this building or walking around in my house. It's upholding me. <laughs> like, Jesus actually gives the metaphor of air. This is the metaphor Jesus offers us in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. The spirit, he says, is like like air, it's like wind, just blowing where it blows. It's, it's all around us. It's enabling us to live, and sometimes it moves. Sometimes you can see what it does, you know, swaying leaves or uprooting a tree, you know, but, but none of us have actually seen air. We've never seen it. You know, it's, a, it's actually everywhere. It's it, in air, we live and move and exist. We have our being and we can't see it anywhere. And yes, I know it's everywhere, but it might as well be nowhere because I, I, I've searched the world and I've, I can never find air. It's nowhere to be found. I'm not trying to be clever with this point. I'm actually trying to, this is something I wrestle deeply with. Uh, my wife can tell you, I rest like this. Is, I, I have never, and so I'm not trying to be glib, I've never wept over the hiddenness of nitrogen. 
<laughs> you know, the, the hiddenness of oxygen. But man, oh man, have I shed tears over the hiddenness of God. Man, and I will a lot before the end. <laughs> um, when life completely fell apart for me in 2012, 10 years ago, why are you so hidden? When my child was on a ventilator in the hospital, where are you? What is going on? on. And all I could pray was the Lord's prayer because I don't have anything else. To... When anxiety and a panic attack has me curled up in a ball and feeling trapped in my own skin, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, the technical language that philosophers and theologians give to this is divine hiddenness is what they call it. But there are moments where I don't care what it's called. It just feels suffocating. It just feels like I'm in my questioning and my wondering and in my hurting. I can think to myself, like, why on earth does the great kindness upholding all of us leave any room for doubt? In all, you guys have asked this question, right? Why, re, why leave any room for doubt in all of this? I've had a handful of spooky moments in my life where it actually felt like, man, God was close. Something's there, to, close enough to touch. But most, most moments in my life feel more like this. I don't know what I'm having for lunch. You know, I'm just kind of up here. What's going on? You know, I don't know. And it leaves a lot of room for doubt. And I don't have a silver bullet answer for any of this, um, but I can share something that's um, started helping me. I'm learning to trust that God made room for doubt to make room for me. God's invisibility is actually invitation, is what it is. Uh, this deserves a longer conversation if your heart is just like aching in you, right? So let me grab you lunch or let me grab you coffee sometime. Come find me. But like... I think what we often consider like a glitch in the matrix or something like a bug in the software of the human experience, you know, being alive, it just feels like God's absent. I think that it's actually a feature, not a bug is what I've started to learn. God has made room for doubt. He's clear, like it, it's not totally foolproof, like convincing. And that's so that there's room for me. For me, like in a similar way that I give my children spaces and times where I'm not actually physically present in the room um, because they need my absence to grow up. <laughs> they need my presence, yes, but my absence to grow up, to live, to be, to walk into the room and say, look what I did. You weren't telling me to do this, but I made a choice. I can do this. Like the work of their hands fills me with such joy and it's because I didn't micromanage it. I wasn't being like, okay, now get this marker and, you know, draw this. They did it. They did it. They're alive. They're alive. It's so cool. Like, and I think it's similar with God. God's desire is for us to reach out, to feel our way toward him and to find him. God's not interested in what God can draw. God's interested in knowing what will you draw what will I draw with my life? And God can, and he does. He gives us spooky moments of experience where we feel like God is radically present. But evidently, what I need much of the time is space to live. 
and to move and to be and to, and to choose. Man, I wrestle with that. But the older I get, uh, the more I'm convinced that uh, the reason there's room for doubt is so that there's room for us. Um, it's a feature, not a bug. God's invisibility is actually invitation. Will you truly live? 